Well, we are on our, our handout here, our packet we're kind of working through here. And I guess my, my working goal with this is uh, if we could get done with this section of it at least by the end of May, uh, that would be a good that would be a good uh, stopping point. But we'll see see how far we get. But we were on last week. We looked at uh, page five. Let's see, no, page four primarily. Um, question number five started on the bottom of page three, and then we looked at five and six, and we we talked about. Um, the liturgy, our order of service, basically the way that, that we do things. Uh, and we talked about some advantages and disadvantages to, to the liturgy. And we said mostly we had advantages, but there was, there was one disadvantage. I'll just run through those uh, real quickly. Um, so starting with 5A, it says it lessens the chance that worshipers will concentrate more on their works rather than God's coming to serve them. So if we follow this format, then we don't want to we don't want to just uh, focus on our works. We want to focus on God's grace coming to us, and the liturgy helps us do that. So that was A under five, and then B is it uses God's very own words He has given us to worship Him found in the Bible. We'll establish this as the lesson goes on. So our our liturgy is based directly from the Word of God. So we said there's really nothing. Is there anything better that we can have than the word of God? No. So we're saying if we're basing our worship, what we do from God's word, then we really can't go wrong. If you're, if you're relying on, on something I can come up with or somebody else can come up with, it can go wrong. Okay. But if we base it on God's word to us, then that's, that's the main thing. That's infallible. Okay. C, he has been passed down from previous generations of Christians. It helps us realize that we belong to the Christian church of all ages. So we said, this really connects us to our, our uh, forefathers and those that have come before us that were, were following in, in their footsteps of, of what, they, what, they, uh, what they learned and, and how they worship. So it really connects us to the, the church at large. Okay. And um, we said, you know, I imagine if, if I visited uh, with Gary's church, they'd probably do things a little bit different than, than we would. They might have before, but I bet there would be some stuff that's the same. Um, I'm sure y'all have prayers, right? We have those too. You have a sermon, right? We have that too. You have music, right? We do too. So, so even if the, the, the liturgy is different, there are still some of these commonalities uh, that, that we can see that can connect us to each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. D, it unites diverse people into a common experience. So we said there's kind of all these different categories we divide people into. But uh, with, with the liturgy, this can unite us into this common experience uh, that, that we have worshiping God. E, certain parts of worship that are uh, that are always need to be present. So it makes us stay on track with that. These things that we need to have that are important are there. F, it helps us to understand the complete scope of God's activity in the world in our lives. So it gives us gives us those things that we need there. Now we said the disadvantage of the liturgy. If we want to say there's a disadvantage, is it can easily become ritual, or I think maybe can't said routine. That would be another good word. There, where worshipers just go through without thinking, okay, and this is the danger that we get so used to what we're doing um, that we just do it without thinking about it. And I think I gave the example of a lot of times praying before meals is that's a good example because people can just rush through that. We can do that, okay. We got to pray, so we just blurt something out, and then okay, let's eat. So the same thing in church. It's like okay, another week we're doing this again. We did this last week, but. We, we need to, it, we need to, the disadvantage is that would become routine to us, that we, 
that we that we're not really thinking about the gravity of what's going on here. So that's a problem though that's with us though, not with God, right? Okay, that's that's our problem if we're doing that. So how do we overcome that? Well, we gave three ways we can do that. Well, first of all, we prayerfully approach and prepare for the divine service. And uh, I know uh, when our Gideon speaker got here this morning, when Gary got here, he asked to pray with me, and I thought that was awesome. I told him that's great. I mean, what better way to, to start out? So the same thing before when we prepare to go to uh, corporate worship with our brothers and sisters, that's a great idea to spend time in prayer. Uh, to, to clear your mind of those things, to focus and say, God, let me hear what you, you want me to hear today from your word, okay? Uh, so we prayerfully approach and prepare for the divine service. And B is we use the gift of variety by using different settings. So where we Lutherans are pretty programmed, I guess you could say we follow this certain format, uh, we do still have, we do, and we're going to look at that today, have some variety available to us. Um, in our liturgy, so we may want to to rotate that in and, and change a few things out um, from time to time to give us a little bit of that variety. See, as I, this is what I started with in my introduction this morning, is we help people understand the liturgy so that they can use it as an aid to genuine worship. So, um, again, it's hard to have an appreciation for something if you don't understand it. And I think we gave some examples of things that we might be into that other people would say, oh, that's boring, or I don't get that. Well, they, they probably don't understand it. Okay, but so the same thing with a lot of things we do in the church. We need to be specifically uh, teaching people this is why we're doing it, this is what it means. Because if people have the meaning behind it, uh, then it becomes uh, much more uh, uh, deeper meaning for them, more intimate, and they understand, okay, this is why we're doing this, this is what this means. So that's really the purpose of what we've been studying here. Okay, at this point, so that's just a review of what we, we did last week. So at this point, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, hymnals uh, today. Talk a little bit about hymnals. And we're going to use, use the hymnal some uh, and a lot of the things going forward in the, in the class uh, as, you know, for, really for the rest of this, this section of it. But we're going to talk a little bit about hymnals. And most churches have a hymnal of some type. Okay, there's a lot of different hymnals out there. Um, there are some churches today that don't even have hymnals, though. You, you, you guys in Gideon's I mean, may have been to some of those churches. Have you been to any that don't even have hymnals at all? What? Why? Okay, Ken did this. What is it? It's up on the screen. It's up on the screen. They have a screen, right? They have a screen, and they, they project everything up there. Um, now, some of those churches may still have hymnals in the pews, but they really don't use them, maybe. But they're there. But even now, I've heard of some churches that are like, well, if we're just using the screen all the time, why should we spend a bunch of money on hymnals? We'll just, we, we don't even, we never use them. They just gather dust. So let's, let's save some money here and just use the screen, right? Um, so I think that's, that's becoming more and more common probably as, as we go forward. Now, of course, what if the technology is not working? Then we have a problem. It does do that. Something we had yesterday, right? The conference at the beginning. I think we started a few minutes late because they're trying to get the guy's PowerPoint to come up and it wouldn't. Um, so so there, there's that. There's that if you don't have, if you don't have uh, the hymnals as well. Um, but also, I think, again, going back to what we studied about engaging all of our senses in worship. Okay, you have the visual, obviously, of a screen. But what, what are you compromising a little bit if you, if you don't have hymnals at all? What sense are you losing a little bit of? Hmm. Well, what, 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 
Yeah. What do we do with these things? We touch them, right? So, so there's, we said that that's an important element of worship if we're talking about engaging all of our senses is touch. Okay, so again, this is not a, a, a matter of heresy or not, whether you have a screen or not, or even if you don't have hymnals. I mean, the early church, did they have hymnals? No, they didn't have books, okay? Everything was handwritten. So, you know, it, it, it's not a matter of orthodoxy, okay? But, but there is something, it's, it's a, a physical object, it's a book, we're touching it, we're looking at it, we're reading, so uh, we're engaging you know, at a close quarters here. So I think there, there is something to be said for books, for, for real books. I know I'm kind of like old school on that, but uh, that's one of the things my, my daughter has inherited, you know, that she's about to turn 20, but, and she'd probably tell you like, you know, she's completely different than dad, you know, in most ways as most kids will, but she loves books too, you know, like most of her generation, like everything's digital, but she would, you know, she would much rather have like a physical book and read it. I think my parents got her, I don't know, when she was like 10 or 11, when it first came out, one of those Kindle things, remember those? Like that was like the first like big e-reader. She barely ever used it. I mean, you know, because she, she'd just rather have the book. Uh, but there is, there is something about that, um, you know, that, that having the physical, uh, the touch of that book and, and everything like that. Um, and it's all right there as well. I mean, I don't have to spend time creating the, somebody in the church would have to spend time putting that together the order and whatever. I mean, somebody has to do that. That'd be another thing for me to do probably, you know, small church. So it, it saves me a little time there to have to do that. Um, and of course the screens can malfunction. You've got issues of the aesthetics of the screen. I don't know if you've ever had been through some of these battles before or whatever, but you know, I think if you design the church with screens in them, it looks better. But what's happened is a lot of churches, they just put, throw the screen up there after the fact because the church wasn't built with the screen. And, you know, where does it end up a lot of times? Again, it's not a matter of, of heresy or anything like that, but it, it goes, they drop something down right in the middle and that usually covers up the cross. You know, I don't like that. I don't like that. Again, I don't think, it doesn't make the cross go away, but I'm just saying, what does that communicate? We're dropping the a screen down in front of the cross here. Uh, you know, so uh, that's a little bit of an issue because that's where, where's everybody getting to see it? Well, right in the middle where everybody looks, right? So I think if you're going to have them, you know, it's probably wise to to study it and make sure you put them in a, a place where it doesn't look just like a fish out of water um, and that it's 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 functional but, um, but being used properly. Now, I'm, obviously, I'm not a big fan of screens. We don't have them here based on what I just said. However, again, I don't think it's, it's heretical. And second of all, I'm, I'm even to be fair here. I'm going to give you one advantage of screens. At least there's at least one I can I think that is is over the uh, Kindle, and that is because where are people looking when you have a screen? They're looking up, and what does that help with? Singing, okay? Because you're you, when you're looking down in your hymnal, and again for us a lot of Lutherans, when we have the same liturgy, like. I mean, I, I have the hymnal there as a guide, but I mean, I, like, I know, I've memorized the whole thing, basically. Uh, but, you know, it's not all the hymns, obviously. Okay, so you're looking down. So I know I've, I have a couple of my pastor friends, they said, well, that's one good thing about, you know, we get to the screen, the singing's better because people are, you know, projecting out. Of course, that's relying on you singing things like people actually know and things like that, which sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I'm like, yeah, like nobody knows this. Uh, but also, you know, in some churches that maybe have more modern music, it may be like a newer song. People don't know it either. You know, so you got the worship group up there, so they're built in it out. But then, like, nobody in the pews knows this song. So it kind of you know, 
works against it. But I, I will say that for screens, it does get us to look up, uh, do that. But I, I like to have the, you know, the, the hymnal there uh, and, and there's, there's a, other advantages to that. But most, most churches have some type of hymnal, uh, I think even today and historically. Um, if you're part of a denomination, your denomination probably has a hymnal. Okay, if you're non-denominational, you have to find something else out there. There's some that kind of appeal to you know a wider range um, of, of you know different you know theological bents and things like that. Uh, some common hymns, but most denominations have a hymnal. Even small denominations will have a hymnal. I, I brought a couple in. I was going to bring a couple more from home that I have that aren't the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod hymnals, but I forgot. I forgot. Uh, but you know, my wife grew up in an independent Baptist church, and uh, they had a hymnal. It's just called the Church Hymnal. You might have seen it. Maybe you have. I don't know what you guys what you guys use, but it's like a burgundy yeah. book, and it just says on the front Church Hymnal. I was like, that's actually very Lutheran because we're very like straight to tell it when it's German. You know, we're going to give it Germany. That's how Germans. So what what do we call this thing? Church Hymnal. Okay, there we go. Very creative. So, uh, but that's the you know she grew up you know singing a lot of those, and there, there's a few of those that show up in our hymnal, but a lot of them are different. It's more of I guess you'd say kind of maybe like a Southern Gospel kind of uh, feel to that hymnal. You know, uh, most of them are, sound better on piano and things rather than organ. Um, and then, you know, of course, so, so uh, that, that's kind of a, I don't know if that's specific to one denomination. I think it's more like, you, know, you might see like a, a holiness church use that hymnal. You might see a Baptist church use the hymnal, you know. Um, but, but most, again, churches have a, a certain hymnal that they use. Even in the Lutheran church, the, uh, the three kind of, there's three larger Lutheran denominations. We've all got our home, own hymnal. Um, even the smaller ones have their own hymnal. They might just have a few hundred churches, but nationwide, but they've got their own hymnal that they want to use, okay? So hymnals can kind of become a contentious thing sometimes. What hymnal do we use and, and all this kind of thing? So there's a history of that. And of course, if, again, if you go back far enough, people didn't have hymnals because people didn't have um, access to, uh, to printed materials, uh, of course, until Gutenberg. But even long after that, I mean, even in early American history, if families had one book in their house, you know what it probably was? It's probably a Bible. That was it. Uh, it it's very common, even into the 1800s. You know, it's probably the late 1800s, maybe before books became very common. Uh, why did we start all these libraries everywhere, these public libraries? Those started in the late 1800s, early 1900s. What was the purpose behind public libraries? Access to books. Uh, actually, Andrew Carnegie, he was a, one of the richest people in American history, and he actually gave away most of his money to charities. This was one of his big things he gave money to. He said, I want to start libraries everywhere because the poor people couldn't afford books. So he said, you know, and he, he was born very poor. He worked his way up. You know, he came over to America with basically nothing, working for pennies, you know, an hour and became wealthy, uh, real rags to riches thing. But he, he wanted to start libraries so people would have access to books because people didn't. Um, there's still some of these around in Livonia, Georgia, up in Franklin County. They have a Carnegie Library, and the architecture of it's really cool in this little town. And I believe that when I was teaching, I used to teach at Franklin County, the students would tell me, I guess they probably learned this in elementary school, and, you know, there's, there's this, like, it's the smallest Carnegie Library in the country. <laughs> you know, it's, it's still in operation, at least it was when I was up there. Uh, there's one in Athens on the, it's the UGA Medical Campus now, uh, but it was the Davy School. There was a Carnegie Library right. on the grounds. I didn't know that until maybe two years ago. You know, uh, my kids, they still play it, but they were really into it a couple years ago. This game called Pokemon Go on your phone. And you have to go places and catch these Pokemon. 
And uh, it's actually kind of good because it gives you exercise. Now, you can't just cheat and drive in your car, but like when you <laughs> go to places, that's the American way, right? But the uh, just drive everywhere. But you can actually, um, like, if, especially if you get in a city, you walk and you find them. And there was, I was like, there's a Carnegie Library here. We're walking around the campus catching these Pokemon. And uh, I was like, there's a Carnegie Library. Well, anyway, the point is, people didn't always have hymnals because they just didn't have access to the books. And, but churches, you know, you get a set of hymnals. They're, they're not cheap, but you would, you know, you, you have them here and we can use them over and over again. Eventually they wear out and want to get new ones, but they can be used. But actually in the old days, a lot of times in the late 1800s and early 1900s, people start getting books. Uh, people actually had their own hymnals, uh, at least in the Lutheran church, and they would bring them to church. Okay, this is, this is one right here. This was my grandfather's. Okay, talk about connect, you know, how all this connects us to Donald J. Ron. That's my grandfather there. And the date here is April 13th, 1930. Uh, so this is almost 100 years old, this hymnal. And my mom gave me this and his catechism that he studied from. And that still has notes he wrote in it. That's really cool, too. That's at home. So I have these two things to keep in the family. And I was sus suspicious about this date. Like, what, what is this? Because I thought he was a little older. He was not born in 1930. Um, and I asked mom last week, and she confirmed that was the date of his confirmation. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. In, in, uh, but there's a, usually when you're 14 years old, you go through a period of study, and then you come forward and confess your faith before the church. And that was his confirmation date. He was born in 1916. So he was 14 years old in 1930. And that's when he was confirmed in the church presented in this hymnal. You wanted to say something? No, I was, I was going to say before you made that last statement that I have a hymnal at home that was given to me on my confirmation. Yeah, that is very traditional in the Lutheran Church. I think I think Tyler has one from Trinity. I don't know if they, I don't think they, I don't know if they did that when Reagan was, was confirmed. But um, here we, we give them a Lutheran confessions, you know, a bound copy of that. But yeah, that's that's no, the very normative and, and we've always said in the Lutheran church, even with hymnals in the church, I still encourage people, if you have one at home, man, the pandemic really brought this out. If you had a hymnal at home, it's great because then you can follow along with the hymns and service. I mean, I think every Christian needs to have the hymnal in their home. Of course, the Bible, number one, but the hymnal is, is a wonderful tool. So this is kind of neat to go through here. And it has the liturgies in the front and it has the hymns. There's no music, though. It's just the words to save space, you know, of the hymns. Some, again, some of these hymns we're still singing today. And this is in English, too, uh, because it wasn't probably about the time he was born in 1916, and he grew up in Chicago, the south side of Chicago, in a German area there, and uh, they were just switching to English from German in the services. But this is 1930, so by this point, um, the transition had happened. Also, uh, you look at the front page, Evangelical Lutheran Hymn Book, St. Louis, Missouri, Concordia Publishing House, 1927. So this is our denominational publishing house. So again, there's that connection. Oh, Concordia, just like we our materials come from today. Um, even looking through the liturgy here, uh, the order of morning service, Holy Communion. Okay, you have an invocation in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hmm, sounds familiar. The confession of sins. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. So you don't have to look at it because it's the same. It's the same. Now, people tease Lutherans because we never change anything. Here is evidence. Okay, here's evidence. Okay. Now, we have added some 
different, you know, uh, other liturgies as we're going to see in our current hymnal. But this, you know, this is this has been around for a while. Okay, it's still basically the fourth. So again, I have that connection to, as I, I say, you know, one of the comments that says, like, I'm still attending Grandpa's church, and to me, that's that's special. Okay, that's a special thing for me to be in the same, you know, worshiping and, and using even these same words that he did uh, for for so many years. And my mom will tell you this too. My her dad, my grandfather. I mean, he was like he was like the ultimate church attender. I mean. You know, he had his faults like all of us do. But she said every time the doors of that church were open, he was there. Uh, even if the rest of the family didn't go, like if they had like an Easter sunrise, he was there. He'd go. They had a midnight Christmas service. He was there. You know, the family might go to one. But I mean, he was he was there at that church all the time. And he, he was very uh, dedicated in his, his church attendance. So hopefully some of that rubbed off on me. You know, as a, he was a, a good example of that. Both of my grandfathers. But. He was legendary for his uh, his church attendance. <laughs> Donald J. Rod was going to be there in the pew if the doors of, of the church were open, okay? Um, all right, so then, though, we said, well, let's make something bigger with music, with more resources in it. And um, then we get this, the old red hymnal, okay? Now, again, I think you guys, too, grew up in not Missouri Synod, right? It was, what, ALC? Yes. Yeah, which was folded into that later. Um, so I don't know. Maybe you don't have this the experience with this. You did. So this was this was even used in the ALC. Yeah, this is this is legendary in the Lutheran Church. This hymnal is called again the Lutheran Hymnal. What should we call this thing? The Lutheran Hymnal. Yeah, there we go. That's a good name. Um, and uh, it, the TLH by its abbreviation. And these also are published in blue. Red is the most common color, but you will find these in blue as well. We may have a few blue ones laying around. And this was published by Concordia Publishing House in 1941. 1941. Yeah, you can see their copyright 1941, Concordia Publishing House. And I mean, this thing was, was used, uh, you know, without fail. And as we're going to see, the people who use this would be familiar with the page five, page five and the page 15 service. If you say that to older Lutherans, they're going to know exactly what you're talking about, okay? Because you had the page five, you opened it up to page five, and just like I read out of there, that liturgy is going to be in there. And this is page five is without communion, page 15 is with communion. They're basically the same service, but one has the communion liturgy and one doesn't. And that was basically your two orders of service. It also has uh, matins in here as well, um, the morning prayer service and some of the other things, but... It's kind of, it just has a few liturgies and people would use these all the time. And then, of course, it has uh, the Psalms in it as we're going to get the, the hymn, a lot of the hymns here. Again, a lot of these live on in our, our, uh, our newer hymnals, but many of these are, are familiar to us. The tunes uh, are familiar to many of us as well, uh, to many of these hymns. So this was really the gold standard. This is what you were going to use if you were a Lutheran and showed up uh, Sunday morning. Um, Believe it or not, again, more evidence, Lutherans, we are very resistant to changing anything, um, is that we still have congregations to this day who use this hymnal. They will not, they will never leave this hymnal, or they say they will. I, th I think when our most recent hymnal came out, which was in 2006, one of the reasons they made it, there were still about 25% of Missouri Synod churches were using this in 2006, again, 1941. Uh, I think it's down to about 10% now. Uh, many of those churches went with the, the newer hymnal eventually, but you will still find this 
And there are some that will, they will never, they, they say, you know, they're going to pry this red hymnal out of my cold, dead hands, you know, to paraphrase Charlton Heston there. Is that just a financial decision in some cases? Probably in some cases, but I think it's also, this is what we know. This is what we know and what we, we don't, we're comfortable with. And also, you know, again, it's like, this is, if, if, if you think this is like the peak of everything, they'll, they'll find some issues with the other hymn. They'll say, well, they changed this and theologically we don't like this or this hymn's in there and we don't like this hymn. You know, it's not Lutheran or whatever. So, uh, and all that. And there's non-Lutheran hymns in here too. We'll talk about that. Not, I mean, uh, not all the hymns, even back in the 41 hymnal are Lutheran in origin. Uh, but, but they're going to say things like that too. But I think the biggest thing is probably just as this is the way we do it. And why change? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, that's that's the Lutheran mantra, right? You know. So, but again, we'll see. There are reasons we don't use this here, and I'm a very traditional guy, but we don't use this. Now, when we started this church, I got a box of these, uh, about I guess about fifty of these from Living Faith, and I was fully intentioned of using this hymnal when we started this congregation because uh, we had it for free. We're a mission congregation. However, a kind a Christian soul donated a large sum of money to buy the new hymnals. So we had the new hymnals. But I was fully prepared to go with this and anything, we could just make copies of what's not in, you know, if we want to sing a, a newer hymn or hymn that's not in here. Uh, but that that was my intention. Um, but uh, thanks be to God, we got a nice donation and, and we have hymnals. And we've purchased a few since then, right? I think Kent is uh, behind that saying we need to get a few more. So, because uh, they do wear out, they do disappear sometimes. When I say disappear, sometimes it's like, May not be a bad, you know, I'll let somebody say, can I take this home and look at it? They're like, maybe they need it, you know, they need it there, okay? It's just, uh, you know, but uh, they, aren't, they aren't cheap, okay? Uh, so this was what we used for a long time. Late 1970s, okay? Some of you might remember the 1970s. I was, I was pretty young then. But uh, in the late 1970s, we said, we need to make a new hymnal. I mean, that one's about almost 40 years old at this point, 35 years old. We need a new hymnal, you know? And of course, the conspiracy theory behind all that, why do denominations come out with new hymnals so the publishing house can sell new hymnals, right? That's the, that's the cynical view. It's like, we got to, I mean, let's make a new hymnal. We can, we can sell more of those, right? It'll boost our profits because everybody's going to buy one, right? Um, so there was a project actually between several Lutheran church bodies, uh, including the Missouri Synod, to create like a Lutheran hymnal that all Lutherans could agree on and use. You can see where this is going right away, right? <laughs> this is going to end badly, right? Um, and it was called the Lutheran Book of Worship, uh, or LB. It's the Green Hymnal. If you got, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, they use it, you know, you use it in parents' church, whatever. But it's the Green Hymnal. It's called the Lutheran Book of Worship. However, much of the work on that project was completed. Uh, but the Missouri Synod, we ended up pulling out of that before it went to print for theological concerns. There were a few things we said, well, we don't like this. And we said we're gonna we're gonna pull out. So so the other Lutheran church bodies adopted that, and we didn't because we pulled out of the project for theological concerns. Um, but much of the work was done, and everybody was expecting a new hymnal. So this is where we get this Lutheran worship, not Lutheran book of worship. This Lutheran worship, uh, the blue hymnal, and this this came out I think in 1982. Let me let me confirm that if it has a date. Readily. I don't see the date easily here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 82 uh, when this came out. It was early 80s, and this was adopted by many churches, but a lot of churches said, nope, we like the red hymnal. We're staying with this, okay? Um, this hymnal here is not the most loved Lutheran hymnal, just being honest. 
I find very few people who say, yes, that blue hymnal, we've got to have that. We're never giving that up. But what, I, if you go, uh, they have like a section where in the district, they probably have this in other districts, where churches are giving away stuff all the time. And you know what? You will never have a problem finding these. These are always, we have 200 Lutheran books of worship free to anybody. You know, so they're always giving these away. It's a little harder to find these now. Oh, and by the way, this is still in print from Concordia Publishing House. You can still buy a new one because churches still use it. Uh, but a, some churches are still using this, but very, very few. And I'd say in those, it's probably a financial thing. They can't afford the new hymnal because I, I, I don't know anybody who's like saying we've got to have this. Is it a bad hymnal? Of course not. Okay, of course not. However, it is, it is lacking in, I think, uh, the, the new hymnal that we're going to spend most of the time looking at. Uh, is, this is way better than this. I mean, it, it just is. I mean, again, I'll, it's way better. Um, one of the things people didn't like about Lutheran worship it was kind of confusing to use. You guys remember that maybe? I mean, you have a guest come into church. There's like three sets of page numbers. I mean, it's like, where, where are they talking about? I'm on this page and this. I mean, it, it's not user-friendly. I might rather have a screen. It'll be more user-friendly. It, it's not user-friendly. Uh, they changed a lot of things. Again, think of the late 1970s, what was going on in America. This was the time of we want to challenge everything and change everything, right? Everything old is bad, you know, kind of growing out of the 60s, but really in the 70s. People are listening to disco and everything else. And, you know, and so they, they, they changed a lot of stuff, which always goes over like a lead balloon. Um, they got, remember that liturgy that people have been using for so long? They basically took that out. Okay. So that may be reason enough for a lot of people to stick with, with this because it's not even an option in here. It's kind of, if we compare it to something, it's when the Catholic Church said no more Latin mass. People are like, what? A lot of Catholics? Okay, so what? There's, there's no more page 5, 15 service? What are you talking about? Okay, so they, they updated the language, made it more modern. Again, people on both sides of that, but um, they even changed the tune of a lot of the hymns that people knew. They even came out with a new tune for A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I was like, that's like touching the... The Holy Grail, right? Which, by the way, is a much more singable tune, and it's the one we sing most, mostly here. But the old school one, people are like, no, you can't change Luther's you know, seminal hymn tune here, okay? So there's a lot of things like that where this was not very beloved. I, th I think she'd be okay with me making this comment, but because my mother's very musical. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a good singer or anything, but my mo mother's very musical. And uh, there was a lady at Trinity one time who got a bunch of these old hymnals, and she, it's really cool. I got one, she made like an angel out of it. You know, she folded the pages up and everything. And so when you're sitting there, it looks like there's like an angel, and you can like put it out in your house. And I told my mom about that, and she said, I think that's a good use for that hymnal. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good use for, the, for uh, that hymnal, you know. So she, she wasn't a fan of it, I don't think, uh, overall. Um, okay, so this never really caught on. So that was like 82. So it was less than 20 years later, people started saying, we need to, we need to make a new hymnal. We need to make a new hymnal because this one really isn't endearing itself to people. And again, in fairness, it, it came across very rapidly because we were like, we were in this other project and we pulled out. So we're like, it was put together pretty quickly, probably too quickly because they're like, we need, Concordia is saying they want the new hymnal and we don't have it, you know? So then we get here, which is the Lutheran service book. And it says there, note, the current hymnal is called the Lutheran service book. So we say the hymnal, but it's actually called the Lutheran service book, technically. And why would we call it that instead of just a hymnal? 
there, as we're going to learn in this class, not all today, we're just going to look at the liturgies today. Uh, there's way more in this. This is an incredible resource, more than just a hymnal. Some hymnals are just hymnal, like that church hymnal. All that's in there is hymns, I think, and like an index in the back. And that's fine. It's a hymnal. It's a hymnal. Okay, but this, this is much more than a hymnal. This has all of our liturgies. It has prayers. It has a small catechism. He's got all kinds of stuff in here. In here. So it's, it's at more accurately a, a service book as opposed to only a hymnal. So uh, we got Lutheran service book. What's the abbreviation for it? LSB. So when you hear Lutheran say LSB or TLH, you know, they're talking about different, different hymns or LW. That's what these are the different hymnals. Uh, this was published again. They were working on it for several years in 2006. This is 2006. So it's what, 15, 16 years old now, which again, Lutherans will still refer to this as the new hymnal. It's 15 years old. It's the new hymnal, right? Okay, again, we have a longer view of time here. So yeah, it's that new hymnal. It came out like 12 years ago, you know, um, I do that with music. I'll say, well, that's a newer song. Reagan's like, Dad, that came out like 10 years ago. It's like, to me, it's new, you know, but it's like, to youngers, it's like, it's ancient. That's, that's classic, classic rock. You know, it's like over 10 years ago. It's like, come on. Oh, was that? And you're like, was that 10 or 12 years ago already? That song came out? And you look it up. Yes, it was. Man, I'm getting old. Everything's flying by. So we have the Lutheran service book, which uh, I am a big fan of, of the Lutheran service book. I mean, I, I think it's a great hymnal. It was very well researched, put together. One of my professors in college, maybe that's why I think that he was one of the main people working on this. Um, and we actually have someone in our congregation who has experience putting together a hymnal. Our, our music uh, leader here who's a volunteer in a small church, but in the Lutheran church body he came from, he was on the committee that put together their denominational uh, hymnal. I was like, wow, it's pretty impressive. Okay. But uh, one of my professors was, was uh, Dr. Grimm was one of the main people working us. And I think they did a fine job. Of course, not everybody's going to be happy. With everything. And the main thing with the hymnal is what hymns are in there, right? Because you, you, if you put every hymn in there that people like, the thing would be this thick, right? That's, again, going back to screens. Okay, we can put whatever up there. But we, we'll sing hymns that aren't in here. And we'll talk about more about music another day. But, um, but I'll make just photocopies. Again, wonders of technology. Make a photocopy, put it in there. We can, we can sing a hymn that's not in here. Um, there, are, there are a few in the TLH that I, that I really like that aren't in here. Most of them are. There, there's a few. Uh, my pet, Nearer my God to thee. I love that. Why didn't they put it in here? Answer me that. Answer me that. What's wrong with it? Anyway, okay, that's my rant. All right, so, all right, where is, where is it? Why couldn't that make the cut, you know? Uh, but anyway, so they can, and of course, we don't want, we don't want all, we don't want like 200 hymns on baptism, okay? We love baptism in Lutheran Church, but you know, we don't want, you know, you have to kind of balance it. You'll notice like the Christmas section is huge because everybody loves Christmas hymns. So that is definitely outsized. You have what, 12 days of Christmas on the church calendar. There's like 40 Christmas hymns. Like, okay, you know, but I mean, you can't get rid of some of those. People would, they would you know, riot, you know, if you got rid of some of those Christmas hymns. Um, so you, you have a lot of things in here, the hymns, there's a whole selection process. And of course, a theological review to make sure they line up with our theology and things like that. So, um, so the Lutheran service book, we're going to spend a lot of time with this, but I just wanted to introduce it today. And this has been embraced by most of our churches. Again, I'd say a vast majority of Lutheran church, Missouri Synod churches use this Lutheran service book. If you go to a ELCA church, they have their own hymnal. Okay. I, I, my, 
not mind perusing through it one day because I, I can imagine some of the hymns they might have in there today with some of their theological things that they've done in recent decades. So what's this about? But uh, uh, in the Wisconsin Synod, they have their own hymnal. They actually just came out with a new hymnal uh, in the last year. I, I, I like hymnals, so I spent about an hour watching one of their professors explain it, and I want to order one now. I'm like, this, is, this looks like a good hymnal. It's like a good hymnal. They have some stuff we could we could pull from. Uh, but uh, anyway, all the little Lutheran church bodies have their own hymnal, just about. I say all of them, most of them do. There's one, our Sunday school curriculum that we get free. Lutherans love free, right? From It's a little Lutheran denomination called the Church, the Lutheran Confession. They still use this exclusively. There you go. They're like ultra traditional conservative. They only use this hymn, the Lutheran Church of Confession. They use it, okay? And if you notice in the Sunday School curriculum when it quotes from the hymnal, it's from TLH. It'll say TLH, whatever. It's there, okay? Um, but uh, but let's talk about this a little bit. We don't, we got about 10 minutes. Uh, sorry, I spent a lot of time talking about hymnals, but hopefully it's a little interesting trip down memory road there, the history of hymnals uh, in the last few hundred years. Um, we've been talking about the liturgy, though. So let's, let's take a look at that. Go to page 151 in the hymnal. Go to page 151. And uh, on the study guide here, and as we're going to see, what we, what, what we said the best word to describe Christian worship, in the Lutheran view anyway, is this. Divine service. What we do, what we're about to do this morning in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, is called divine service. And of course, divine is God. It literally, it comes from a German word. Again, big surprise, Gottesdienst, which means God's service. The divine is God's. So we said this is, this is God's service. It's, it's centered on, on the Lord. And then service, meaning that the, we worship God and then he serves us his gifts of forgiveness. What do we receive? We receive the forgiveness of sins from God. So we'd say the divine service. How many divine services are there? Trick question. There's only one. Okay. People will say that, but that's, I think this is in the study guide. There is only one divine service, but what are there different of it? Yeah. There's different, different settings. Can there be more than five? Yes. How many do we have in our hymnal? Five. So there's five. Again, there's that variety. Okay. There's a trick question. There's a trick question. Yeah, I see. You, yeah. I so fell for it. You fell for it. Yeah. But I mean, you'll even see people say that, but technically, and that's and, and uh, that's why it says, and look, you've got the bulletin. It says there, it says divine service and all that setting one. Okay. Because there's not different, there's 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 one proper way to, to worship God, you know, spirit and truth as we pray. Okay. So there's one divine service, but there, that can take different forms formats okay now are you still going to have all the essential elements there yes but they may be in a different order okay all right or some you know different different uh, uh, words spoken and things like that so there there are you have again in TLH basically you had two options and they were basically the exactly the same except one had communion and one did so you really just had kind of one option plus or minus communion um, this I think you had divine service there was Two, maybe three. See, I'm forgetting here. I mean, they have like vespers. Divine. I think yeah, they have. They had divine service one and two. Uh, second, I think two settings at once. So there's maybe two or three. So in LSB, they said we're giving you five. You got five options. Um, that you know, five options here for the order of service. Now some churches they rotate it every week. 
We don't do that here. Why not? Why don't we do just go one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five? Why? Where? What could go? I mean, it, yeah, it's inflexible. It's inflexible. It's confusing. That's the main thing. So like. We want variety, but we don't want people to not know it's, it's like, because, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, so you get, you know, so you, you get, uh, it can be kind of confusing, I think. Also, you have to look at what is the musical skill of your congregation? How big is your congregation? Okay, we have 20 to 25 people maybe on a typical Sunday. Some of us can sing, some of us can't. So if we're throwing different tunes to everything in there every week, that can be hard. Okay, Kathy's laughing. You see how this would work, right? Okay, so my theory is let's, have a couple of these that we know and we can do well. I mean, if you can't do it well, I mean, again, God looks at the heart, but again, at the same time, we want to make sure like what we're presenting is, is quality. I mean, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't sound like a bunch of cats running around, you know, uh, scratching on things. Okay. Um, so, so that's why I said we kind of do it in chunks, at, you know, like a liturgy for a while. Also, I, I keep saying we're going to learn another one. We haven't yet, but uh, uh, we'll eventually learn, and we can add that to our repertoire. Basically, we do two settings of, the, of this here, plus matins right now. Uh, but a lot of that's going to depend on the musical ability of your congregation, the size of your congregation, things like that. But I, I've never been a big fan, again, not an issue of heresy or anything, but where it's like a different setting every week. Even in a larger church, I would say, we'll do this one for like a month or something, at least, you know, then shift, or you can use seasons of the church years is how we, we do it here. Okay, so divine service setting one. Um, page 151 to 166. This is basically the setting that took took shape in the late 1970s and early 80s. Okay, it's much more user-friendly in here, but it's basically what you had in, in Lutheran worship. Okay, that's basically what you had. A lot of people got used to it. I mean, we used this for like over 20 years, a lot of churches, even though I grew up using it. Okay, I bet when I was a baby, we had TLH in my church, but I mean, I couldn't even read then. Okay, but this is the one I grew up using, okay? Um, so this is the one that took shape in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, you go through here the different pages and another lesson we're gonna go through each part of the liturgy and, and what it means. Another thing I will note today, um, when you go through here, what do you see referenced here after the invocation and these different things in the margins here, the little print, which I think is a good thing. Bible references. Okay, so we have a visitor come to our church as we did today, and he said, these Lutherans are they're kind of different than me. What's all this stuff they're doing? You know, this is this is different. Well, we want, this communicates clearly, not only to our members, but also visitors, these things that we're speaking, they are based on the scripture. Sometimes they are in the direct words of scripture. Okay, like in the confession and absolution there, which we're going to have, um, where, you know, this is... Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at this uh, and you're seeing, you know, this is, this is from the scripture here, okay? Um, but if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 8 and 9, folks. Okay, when we get to some of the liturgy that we're going to, to sing, for example, um, let's see, we'll have, this is the feast today, that's based on the book of Revelation. Uh, but you see all these things here. Before the gospel, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. Well, who said that? John. He said, Lord, you know, uh, uh, Peter, I believe, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's right out of scripture. Okay. So again, was it in here too? Yes, but it wasn't noted. Okay. So I think it's good they added that in so people realize this is based on the scripture. Okay, what we're doing here, and we'll get into that in a lot more detail. 
Um, the musical settings are not as hard to sing. They're easier than the, the old school way, okay? The, the music is just not as difficult uh, if you look through the music here. The other thing is they, they updated the wording. So you don't have basically the King James uh, wording to it. You have more modern wording to it. It's something they, they brought in with the Lutheran worship, which is retained here, okay? Uh, the other thing is they added some things in like, this is the feast. This is something that went over real well. People love this is the feast. They love that. That doesn't exist. If you're using TLH, you don't use this is the feast. Or you have to make up. It was, it was written in like the 1970s. Okay, so new things can be adopted. It's, it's provable, okay? But, um, but this is it's a great hymn of praise here. We'll sing it this morning. Okay, so you have that, those options there. Okay, you can do Gloria, the Gloria, which is very ancient in the church, or you can do this from the 1970s. Can anything good come out of the 1970s? Yes, this is the feast, okay? Uh, but we're going to see in the lesson today, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Okay, well, yes, okay, so we can have newer things that people will like and they will sing. Um, all right, let's go. This We use this setting for a good bit of the year. We're using it during the Easter season, so we'll use it today. Go to page uh, 167. Then you get to divine service setting two. If like, we don't use this one here, um, but if you look through the wording, what are you going to notice compared to setting one? You can cheat and look on the sheet, but uh, what's the difference in the wording between setting one and setting two? What's different in the order of everything? Kind of another. I got full of trick questions today. If you look on your handout, it is exactly the same wording, exactly the same order. So what makes setting two different from setting one? What's different about it? Why, do, why would we have two that are exactly the same? What's different? The music. If, you, if you're a musical person and you look at the notes, the musical notes are different. Again, that's why I think most people know setting one better, so we use it here. You know, uh, that's what we've, we've used, okay, because I was like, well, it's the same word, so, you know, I guess you could miss, I don't know, nobody said, I really missed that from setting two. Maybe we'll try it sometime, but it's the exact same thing. All right, let's go to setting three, page 184. This is the one we use for a lot of the year. Uh, we used it last during Lent. Divine service setting three, okay? Now, this was fun because what's setting three? Again, this wasn't in... This was one of the main things people said didn't like about Lutheran worship, and they brought it back, back by popular demand. What is divine service setting three? Common service. It's this. It's TLH. It's the page five and fifteen service. That this is setting three. This is the traditional American anyway Lutheran service that so many people grew up out of this hymnal with. So, do you have to do that? No. But it's at least an option. I think that was one of the gravest errors they made in this fight at that time period. Everything's got to be modern. Everything's got to be, you know, people don't want this old you know, language anymore. People did. And they should have at least left it as an option. Might have lasted longer. I don't know. But they, they just took it out. So if you don't like setting three, you don't have to do it. Okay, pastors have to do it. I know some pastors don't like it. Okay, I like it. So we do it. Okay, I think it's great. It goes back, you know, all these years. So in this setting, you will notice, like in the liturgy that you sing, it's the old language. It's the King James-ish language, if you will. It's the exact same order. Now, they did change a little bit, I mean, but very little. I mean, it's basically, I mean, I think after the gospel reading, you say, 
you know, I think there's like, a, this is the word of the Lord or something that says, uh, thanks be to God. It's like maybe like a more King James way there, but that's it. That's the only thing they kind of modernize. It's basically the same thing. You will notice in the hymn of praise, you don't have, you don't have, this is the feast there, right? Okay, because it wasn't around 1940s, okay? Uh, so this is the common service. So we've got to wrap up here in a minute. Uh, it says it's called the common service because it has long-standing use among American Lutherans, not just Missouri Synod folks. It goes back to the late 1800s. It's familiar to many longtime LCMS Lutherans. It's very closely based on the page 515 uh, service, basically, because that's communion, uh, but it's, uh, that's been used for decades. The music is a little bit more difficult. Like if you're just, you don't know any of this and you, and you never have done this before, it's going to be harder. But it's not harder for a lot of Lutherans. You know why? Because we know it. You know, that's a lot of things with music. It, it, you could have something musically that's very complex. Like Mighty Fortress is a pretty, it's not an easy hymn to sing, but we built it out. Why? Because we know it. The same thing here. The music is just harder for someone coming in who's never done this. Setting one music is easier. There's less inflection and everything. But we know this music. We know this music, so it's not hard to most of us. Um, the scripture and wording are based on the King James Version. This is the setting we most commonly use. All right, we're out of time, but I do want to get to a good stopping point. Setting four, two or three. And we're going to go through all these parts of the liturgy in, in future weeks, what they mean, why we do them, um, and uh, and uh, in, in the scriptural basis. But let's at least get through the, the settings. Setting four, this is a new one. This is on page 203. This did not exist prior to this hymn, or at least in this hymn. I think they put it in like a supplement or something. So setting four, this might be the one we try to learn next. It's, it's, a, it's a good setting. It's, you know, uh, it has a lot of good things in there, and the music's not terribly difficult. Uh, but setting four was a new one they've added in. So a lot of churches maybe don't do it because it's, it's new. People don't know it. But it's, it's, it's in there. This is, a, this is a new option they gave everybody uh, in, this, in this hymnal, setting four. All right, one more again. We're out of time, so I'm going fast. Let's go to page 213, Divine Service Setting 5. Okay, guys, if you really want to be an old-school Lutheran, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're a dyed-in-the-wool traditionalist, you don't want to go to Setting 3. Do you know where you want to go? 5. You want to go to 5. Why do you want to go to 5, Kent? Any idea? Because you're not going back to the 1800s here. You're going back to the... 1500s, baby. You're getting in that time machine and you're going back like 350 more years. Because who put together setting five? Martin Luther himself organized this. So again, if you want to be the ultimate <laughs> old school Lutheran, learn setting five. Setting five is hard. The music. A lot of Luther wrote a lot of the music for it as well. His music's not always the easiest to sing. It's good theologically. Okay. But you see here where it says. Go sing, you go find the page in the hymnal like the Glory Nick Shelsis. You've got two hymns there. A lot of these are things written by Luther. For the creed, you sing the creed. Okay, you got options there. So uh, this is rarely done, but uh, maybe one day we'll get there. But I mean, again, if we tried to do this like this morning, I said, oh, change of plans, throw your bulletin out, we're doing setting five. I mean, we would struggle. We would struggle. Okay, uh, it's it's because it, it's not familiar to people and the music is, is pretty tough. But this is what Luther did is he took the Catholic mass and he and he said, no, we got to change this because there's a lot of unbiblical stuff. So he stripped out the things that needed to go. And what did he do? He put it in the German language. Now, it's not in German. I guess if you want to go really old school, you'd have to do it in German. That's a whole nother level. Okay, but uh, we have it translated to English. But so this is what Luther's German mass was that he put together where he took 
the old mass and he revised it, made it where it was accessible to the common people and it was centered more on the scripture in Christ, okay? But they put it in there as this is something we can do. Okay, so you have five choices there. We generally take advantage of two of those. There's some prayer services as well in there. We'll talk about those next week because we're out of time. Any questions or comments? So just a little bit introduction to hymnals today and uh, looking at the different settings. And again, in just a few minutes, we're going to be using setting one without communion today. Okay. Questions or comments?